It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Fantasy Points Podcast. I'm your host today, Scott Barrett, joined by my protege, Ryan Heath, who's just been absolutely crushing it. Probably my my favorite writer in the space today, joined us last year and has just been doing an incredible job. And so we're joining you today after the Super Bowl. And something I do every year right around the Super Bowl is uh, I open up a notebook I have. I, I, I keep a notebook. During like peak draft season around June, July, August, I start recording my thoughts, my observations, my takes, my reasoning behind those takes, the, the takes I struggled with, the reasoning behind why I struggled with those takes. And then it's week one. And I forget about the notebook until around the Super Bowl. I pull it back out and I go back and I look at uh, everything I'd written down, my my thought processes, uh, and most importantly, my ta- my takes, the rankings I had. And I look back and I self-flagellate. I, I see what I got wrong and I sort of beat myself up over it. But it's all with a good purpose to, to try and get better, to try and learn from this um, so that my rankings the next year are going to be a little bit better. And so a lot of this I do, I look at it on the micro level. It's like, well, I had this player above this one. Uh, I got that wrong. Was that good process, bad results? Was that just bad process, bad results? Was it an injury? Did I just get unlucky? And I, so I have all those micro takeaways and then I'll look for overarching macro takeaways and I'll turn that into an article. At least I typically do. So this time I handed the reins over to Ryan Heath. Uh, I helped a little bit, but really only a little bit. Article was a masterpiece. It was flawless. Absolutely perfect. Loved it. Check it out. It's on fantasypoints.com. 2023 fantasy football key takeaways. So we're going to talk about that today. Also, uh, Ryan, very productive, prolific, put out another article today, statistically significant fantasy points per drop back. Those of you who remember me from the PFF days, back when I used to do metrics that matter, Ryan picked up the torch with that. He's doing something very similar. We're calling it statistically significant, where we're looking at all of the best stats in the fantasy points data suite. Who are the league leaders in fantasy points per drop back last year? Why should we care about this stat? You say it's predictive prove it. Are there any ADP values based on looking at this stat, et cetera? Again, another flawless, awesome article. Highly recommend you check that out. But today we're talking about the big key takeaways from the 2023 season and learning hopefully some key lessons here. What? Some things maybe we got wrong, uh, some some trends that we're, that we're seeing that'll be very applicable for your 2024 drafts, which if you are a best ball fan, you know, best ball drafts are going on right now. Anyway, that was a lengthy introduction. Ryan Heath, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm feeling great after getting all all those compliments, all that gas from you, Scott. Like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't take compliments well, but it, it's all very appreciated. To well, it was well, well deserved. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You've become like one of my favorite people on the planet, just because you, you, you. I hate editing articles, but I get yours, and it's such a, a joy because it's so close to perfect. And then after a, a short back and forth, it just becomes one of my favorite articles I've ever read. Man, man. yeah. I, I remember when you would first start editing, editing my articles, I'd, I'd be like, oh man, like there's so much here. Like, is this going to take me hours just to dig through all of these nitpicks that this freaking guy is making me fix? Um, but it, yeah, I mean, I mean I, I've also really come to 
enjoy the process because I, I know you're going to pick up on anything that I didn't or anything that can be better. So it just makes it a better read, a better experience, makes me feel better about putting it out. And yeah, I, like I ha- have you to thank for that. So yeah, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you being so receptive to it. I, I feel like most people aren't going to be excited to go back into this article and spend another two hours with it and then second round of feedback, another two hours with it. But uh, this has been such a, a pleasure for me um, where like, you know, I, I'm not very critical of anything you're you're writing. It, it really just becomes like, hey, let's start a conversation. This is interesting. Do we want to explore this further? Or have you considered this? What do you think about that? And that's really kind of what we did in in this article. Uh, talking about your key takeaways. And we got to walk it down the way you had lined out in this piece. You started off with running backs, which you know I think is an important position to start with. Uh, as I always wrote in an Anatomy of a League winner, uh, the running back position, historically, far and away, the most important, the most valuable position um, due to scarcity, uh, high-end production, among other things. Uh, but in Anatomy, I did say that we we saw a, a trend. Uh, I was calling it the death of the bell cow. I was seeing, you know, historically, you want to be drafting running backs in those first two rounds. That's where the league winners reside. Um, but I, I hated early round running back ADP uh, heading into this season. I was really on board with the zero RB approach that I guess was one of the macro things uh, I, I got right with my rankings this past season. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about what historically was the most important position. Maybe it wasn't this past year. Uh, and, and what you found to be the key takeaways from diving into the running back position. Yeah. So as you kind of hinted at historically, it has always been the case that most of like the best high-end fantasy running backs that are available, that are going to win you leagues, were being drafted in the early rounds. That has kind of always been the rule of thumb. Going back, even as long as I've been playing fantasy, that that was always like the base level, oh, get your running backs early. But in the last two years, and especially last year, we've seen that change a lot. If you went with like a running back heavy strategy through the first three rounds of your draft this past year, you probably lost unless you took exactly Christian McCaffrey and your draft position was exactly in like the top three or four where you could get him. Basically every other league winning player outside of Christian McCaffrey in the early rounds was either at QB or at wide receiver. That's been a really big change. As you said, the reason for that is there are just so few all-purpose bell cow RBs nowadays. I think we try to force it a little bit with it just looking at ADP. There's a a lot of guys we wish could do that, but it is working out less and less in practice. Yeah. Do you, do you have any theories on why that might be the case? I would say there's a couple things going on here. Um, One is that league wide teams are just targeting running backs less Uh, And this has been a trend for the last several years, Um, like running back target shares peaked around like 2017, 2018, and have kind of only been going downhill since. Whether you want to say that this is because of defenses shifting their coverages, maybe teams just figuring out that it's 
going to give you better results to throw to a wide receiver or a tight end that is more often actually trained to catch a football than it is a running back. Or I think the biggest reason is we kind of have a talent problem at the running back position right now. In 2017, we had that historic rookie running back class that was like all of Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Kareem Hunt, even Leonard Fournette. Chris Carson was relevant for a few years out of that. Like that, so much of like the fantasy running back talent over the last several seasons came in that class. And as they've kind of gotten older and aged out of their peak seasons, that that so that's what year eight now for those guys. I think kind of with them becoming older and less of them being successful, less of them having high snap shares. That has just naturally dragged down the amount of running backs that are these all-purpose bell cows. And we aren't really getting those types of guys in the draft nowadays to come in and replace them. Um, I, Scott, you will know better than me. I know, know you've been working in all your rookie prospecting stuff lately. This running back class coming up is really bad. There's nobody expected to go on day one, maybe a couple on day two, I think last I checked, but yeah, you might have more in-depth opinions on that, but really there just aren't that many exciting young running backs entering the league anymore. And it's the total opposite at wide receiver. We see all of these guys, not only more star wide receivers succeeding now, but succeeding even younger, succeeding immediately when they come into the league not that long ago and by that i mean like eight or ten years ago we would always talk about oh it's the year three wide receiver breakout now if you say like oh all this guy will have a year three breakout you're kind of looked at as like oh oh okay like you're we get it you're coping about this player you you still think he can break out in year three but i think that goes to show how the running back and wide receiver positions talent wise have completely diverged and we're seeing that in the high-end fantasy results now as well. Yeah, so I think that's exactly right. And I, I think both points play into each other. Uh, so obviously we know we want to target pass-catching running backs in fantasy, and that's so important. You know, Weighted opportunity targets are worth 2.5 times as much as carries in PPR leagues, and we're really seeing a drop-off in that. And I, I think that's entirely due to talent. You know, uber talented running backs like Christian McCaffrey demand a 95% snap share. They are are targeted often because they're so good at that. They're hyper talented runners and they, they get high volume. So so we're seeing a, a decline there. But we we saw this dramatic rise, like you said, in 2017, a historic draft class. And there were some other good classes uh, of running backs uh, clustered around that. But it wasn't just that and 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 like you said we we've seen a major drop off but it wasn't just that you know a, a surge of running back talent at the right time it was also a drop off in wide receiver talent i have to double check this stat but i'm pretty sure from 2015 to 2020 only 2 of 23 round 1 wide receivers went on to make the pro bowl so there there were a bunch of really bad uh, wide receiver classes. And, and we have seen a dramatic shift. Like you said, the last year's running back class wasn't great. Minus, of course, Bijan, Jameer Gibbs, not very deep, one of the least deep running back classes I thought in some time. But these wide receiver, and actually uh, this year's upcoming class by my model, it looks like it's going to be 
really bad. Uh, and part of this too, like this has been going on for a while. I like, I, I thought, I think I, I said, I viewed Travis Etienne and Najee Harris as like historically good prospects, but I actually noticed an issue with my model that said a uh, PFF uh, at some point changed their threshold for what's deemed a missed tackle. And you were just like so much more lenient in charting that this occurred sometime randomly in like 2021. And that screwed up my model to make uh, more recent running backs look better than they otherwise were. And I, I went ahead and I, I adjusted that on my model. Yeah. And you just see like these last few running back classes really haven't been all that great, but these wide receiver classes have been awesome. You know, my model really liked them. Didn't actually love last year's class. Um, but then you look at year one production, year two production models, likes them even more. And so I do see that that happening. And like, that's what every season is its own unique snowflake. And like, that's something that should be driving your decisions. If you see this massive influx of talent at the wide receiver position relative to running back, that should influence your drafting decisions. And especially when it comes to running backs, which have their peak years earliest in their careers throughout that, that rookie contract. And what, meanwhile, you know, like you said, the 2017 class class is, is aging out the beyond the age cliff. And so, yeah, I, I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's, that, that explains a lot of, of what we're noticing. And, and unfortunately for, I guess, robust RB drafters, uh, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, the, for it to change, the talent profiles would have to change. And I, kind of just take taking a step back and looking at the sport of football in general right now, but much more so than 10 or 15 years ago, it, it's all about the passing game. The passing game is what's sexy. The participants in the passing game are the players that get the biggest contracts in the NFL and guys that are in college and in high school and even younger, they see that. So if 25 years ago, the most athletic kid on like your peewee football team was going to play running back, but that's not the case anymore. Now he's, now he's going to be a dual threat quarterback or he's going to learn to play wide receiver. Just that decision that is happening at the lower levels of football is, has trickled up to the NFL. It took it five, 10, 15 years to, for us to really see it, but it's, not like that's really changing. I mean, NFL teams have been a, a little more run heavy over the past few seasons than compared to like five years ago, but it's still very much like a passing game. So yeah, robust RB drafters, uh, I, I would concur with Scott there. It's probably, this is probably the time to step back and reevaluate. <laughs> Uh, I think you're right. I think that's a, a great observation as to why that might be happening. So you said Christian McCaffrey, far and away top league winning running back in the early rounds. Just how dominant was he? Just how important was he to winning your championship? Was he the single most important player? And then who were some of the other league winning running backs in 2023? Sure. So yeah, Christian McCaffrey was the single most important player. So yes, the RB position did still have that one single most important player. In in fact, in, since 2017, uh, McCaff I have McCaffrey as the fourth like biggest league winner in ESPN leagues just by uh, playoff rate. So it, in 73% of ESPN leagues, basically Christian McCaffrey made the, the Christian McCaffrey team made the playoffs last year. And that, that was the most of any player um, running backs aside from that were not 
nearly as high generally. Um, so you did have Kyron Williams uh, going undrafted. He was obviously a really big help. Uh, in the later rounds, you had Raheem Mostert. Um, and then kind of in the middle rounds, uh, Travis Etienne and Alvin Kamara were both over 50, on over 55% of playoff rosters. Uh, but really with those guys, uh, Etienne especially, like really faded down the stretch. Like there, it's really hard for me to look at any of those players aside from really McCaffrey and Kyron Williams and, and be like, oh yeah, like he, he was great for you the entire year essentially and carried you to a championship. Yeah. So, so digging into those names and maybe we could touch on some micro analysis, Kyron Williams, Raheem Moster, Travis Etienne, who was the other one? Alvin Kamara. Yeah. And so remember, we're looking at playoff win rate. And there's a reason we do that. It's explained in Anatomy of a League winner. I think you kind of explained it in your article. But in Anatomy, I'll also look at championship win rate, which is super important. But uh, yeah, so in in this, Kyron was probably hurt a little bit just because he missed those games in the middle bulk of the season and then was dominant in the playoffs. Moster, Travis Etienne were helped a little bit just because both of those players uh, faded down the stretch or Mostert, in his case, was dealing with injury. Actually, Kamara, too. And so just uh, talking about you know my takeaways from a micro perspective, I am beating myself up over not having more Kyron Williams than anything else. I, I had him on a bunch of best ball teams, but in start sit, I, I, I did mention him in the draft guide as like one of those high upside handcuffed tier backs to target. But basically, uh, two years ago, I had Daryl Henderson as like a must draft pick because I didn't trust the Cam Akers with his injury. I didn't really trust trust Sean McVay, a well-known liar. And so I was all in on, on Daryl Henderson, who like looked like a great value, not a league winner prior to his injury. Uh, part of this too was uh, the upside of a Sean McVay bell cow, like we saw with Todd Gurley and we saw with Henderson at times. And just for whatever reason, I did not, was not anywhere near on as high on Kyron as I was on Henderson, when it's basically the exact same thesis. I think the only thing that scared me off was that stupid Sean McVay quote, where he just, I put it on a Twitter, Twitter and it got like 5,000 and retweets, but it was effusive praise for Cam Akers. It was, you know, 50 sentences on why he, the offense runs through him. He's their, their bell cow. They love him. They have full belief in him. And then lo and behold, Kyron Williams, that was one of the best you know, upside wins championships picks you could have made. In my mind, like clearly one of the top league winners of the season, one of the top ADP values of the season. Raheem Mostert to me, you know, great bet. Uh, Devon A-Chain as well. Like two of the best picks you could have made. Clear upside there. I, I know we were worried about a committee. It was looking like a three-way committee until Jeff Wilson, a few days before the season starts started, was randomly put on IR. But the argument there is just uh, Mike McDaniel, like a, a genius, especially with the run game. We've seen before hyper-efficient, hyper-productive running backs uh, from that backfield, despite it being a committee. And you know th- that we talk about power law offenses. That's a power law offense you want to be invested in. And then Kamara, I, I, I whiffed on. I was just like, I just see massive range of outcomes here. I did like the rookie a lot, but you know he also had injuries that that plagued him the entire year. Maybe I'm sure Kamara benefited from that, or he missed most of training camp with that injury. So maybe we should have seen that coming. Uh, Danny Heifetz of the Ringer also sent me this article, and I, I usually don't buy into this stuff too much, but it was just so persuasive. He was really working with a whole new team of trainers that were digging into you know his advanced uh, numbers like HRV and heart rate, oxygen saturation, a bunch of stuff like that. But basically, they, they figured out some things things were going on and they, they totally fixed it and all his number 
numbers exploded, one of which was like one leg was like 40% more muscular than the other. I, I don't know. I, when I read that, I did I did regret not bumping Kamara up in my rankings, but I didn't find that out until like two weeks into his suspension. He also did though kind of fade uh, down the stretch, but those were kind of my micro takeaways from looking at the the league winning running backs from last season. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you on kicking myself for Kamara because obviously he's done it before. I I used to always say like the the most one of the most predictive things you can look at for who will be a league winning running back who has done it before. I remember even back to a conversation we had over the summer of you were basically asking why are there so many running backs that will repeat as league winners as opposed to wide receivers and we we were kind of talking about how okay they can repeat because running high-end running back seasons are bigger than high-end wide receiver seasons so even if they're drafted in the first round they have an easier time being a league winner Camaro was a had a sixth round ADP obviously there was the suspension there were the age concerns but I really feel like especially in hindsight a lot of the risk was kind of you, you were off the hook if you take Alvin Kamara in round six and he is kind of like a plotting RB2 or kind of fades like you there's no issue with that like that I, that should have been an upside bet that I got onto that I absolutely didn't um and it, with Kyron Williams kind of similar too I just I always have these flashbacks to conversations or thoughts I was having during the summer ranking players. Scott, we talked a lot about how like should we have Cam Akers as like one of our bigger upside bets? We kind of went back and forth a little bit. We landed on no, but we really didn't take that next step to oh okay, well, if we don't trust this whole Cam Akers thing, what what is like the very obvious low risk that you can make to take advantage of that to parlay I think Cam Akers is going to fail essentially so we really just did not take that next step at all and we we absolutely should have and yeah on on the Raheem Mostert thing I don't hold myself super accountable there I think I tweeted out my best ball exposure for Dolphins running backs I, I had a lot of Jeff Wilson I don't know what else to say there at like you got to remember at the time Jeff Wilson was the Dolphins running back that was the most productive uh, once he joined the team in 2022 he was the cheapest of the trio and it in my mind at the time was the obvious bet to make in the backfield so I think we identified the backfield but I, I think just the very late reported injury there just kind of injected a lot of randomness into the situation. So I have a hard time like holding myself accountable for that take in particular. And I mean, I, I could honestly say that about a lot of different players. Like we found out about Cooper Cup very late into the offseason. There were a lot of ones just kind of like that. Yeah, I I, I talk to some uh, DFS pros every now and then, and they say like one thing that gives them an advantage over me is they're so unafraid of looking dumb. Whereas like me, you know, have these subscribers give out this uh, analysis. You don't want to seem dumb, but leads them to being more fearless and it, it gives them better results. And I think maybe in both instances, this kind of could have 
at least subconsciously held us back with with Kamara. You know, neither of us cared at all about the suspension, which is like the right way to think about how to win fantasy and league winners. It's the first three games, which matters exponentially less than the final three games of the season. But like what stuck stuck out to me was just he had great volume last year. Uh, They just drafted a running back early, which and signed Jamal Williams, which makes you think there's going to be less volume. And then he was just dreadfully inefficient to the point where it was, is he just fully cooked? Yeah, probably. And then, and then with Kyron too, it's let's not forget he did nothing as a rookie, uh, despite Cam Akers stinking, Daryl Henderson stinking, and he was also literally one of the least athletic running backs of all time. I know I'm kind of always like, well, athleticism's overrated, but uh, just all that together at least uh, is a justification for you know why we we didn't see it coming. But I don't think anyone really saw it coming. And just because we're going to beat ourselves up a little bit in other sections, uh, I do want to say you know Rashad White was must draft for me. James Conner was must for me. Love the ADP value on Joe Mixon, James Cook. Those those are some pretty good plays, uh, calls. Uh, Brees Hall, I know he didn't wind up a league winner, but like one of my biggest takeaways was just like, damn, like imagine if Aaron Rodgers stayed healthy. Uh, he would have broken leagues this year. So uh, just uh, luckily, you know, that happened. So uh, if you didn't have him, he didn't kill you, but uh, make sure you draft a lot of him next year. I think that's what I'm going to do. You're almost like validated by, oh, oh, look, Brees Hall has a round one ADP in early underdog drafts right now. It's like, it's like okay, well, clear, clearly the process was correct there. But yeah, I, I mostly concur with all of those good calls at running back. I was, you, I came around on Rashad White, luckily felt, felt a little better about that um, early in the season. I was kind of fixated on like the efficiency stuff. And I, I mean, with with Camara, with Kyron Williams, I, I think it, it's fun and it's sexy to talk about like the running back efficiency stats. But and and maybe I'll dive into some more of those for statistically significant. But look, like looking at a one year sample of a running back's efficiency probably doesn't have a lot of signal for is this a good value or a good draft pick in fantasy football. And I, I think that's something that gets a lot of airtime especially in the off season when we're more removed from like the week to week of okay how many touches is he getting which is probably what we should be thinking more so so that's just something for for me to keep in mind um and and then just on the first thing you said about DFS pros being unafraid to look dumb I I think we should be thinking of seasonal fantasy football almost like a DFS tournament we shouldn't be afraid to look dumb because just like in DFS, if you aren't finishing in the basically the top 10% of your fantasy league, then guess what? It doesn't matter if you look dumb, you lose I, anyway. So <laughs> T- to my defense, I, I wasn't afraid to look dumb touting Kadarius Tony and Justin Ross. And then lo and behold, I, I did look dumb. Um, but speaking of which, yeah, let's move on to wide receivers, obviously with running back as a whole, having a down year, wide receivers must have stepped up in a big way. Uh, where did that happen? Was that was that all the way at the top? Was that uh, just the entire position? Uh, wh- what were you saying when you looked into the data? 
So it's a little easier to express all, all of these finer numbers and everything in the article. I've got all the charts there laid out that you can stare at and absorb into your mind. But yes, it was mostly up at the top of the wide receiver position where we saw the biggest difference. Uh, just in the first three rounds, we had five league winners. And that that is like a, that's really a historic number. So Five league winners in the first three rounds at the wide receiver position in 2023. In the five previous seasons, no, sorry, the six previous seasons, we had a total of seven in that area of the draft. So this was like the best season basically ever to draft a wide receiver early. If you were drafting a lot of wide receivers early, you probably had a really good fantasy season. Uh, I And I've got... In the article, there's a chart that shows you value over replacement. So the points per game that a wide receiver scored above and beyond like the wide receiver 20, like a replacement level player at the position. And it's really clear that this was the best year for high end wide receivers literally since 2014, which was funny enough, like the last wide receiver class that people like fondly remember and say that 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 was like the best wide receiver rookie class ever, blah, blah, blah. So it is, has the pendulum has very much swung in favor of wide receivers. And it was even a little bit difficult to find wide receivers later. I, I know it felt that way when I was drafting and that was also the case in the results. There were outside of those first three rounds, there were only two league winning wide receivers. Uh, one of them was Puka Nakua, who went undrafted, and the other was Keenan Allen, who I, I mean, in my mind, he was more of like an early round wide receiver pick. But I, I, on a lot of sites, he was going like round four, round five, which we did correctly identify was absolutely ridiculous. And he at least was a big hit for us. Yeah, that's right. He was a must draft for me. Uh, Puka Nakua, I I didn't hit uh, partly because when that article was written or when my draft guide came out, Cooper Cup was still uh, fully healthy. And then all the beat writers like didn't think Nakua would get much playing time at all. But then again, Brett Whitefield loved him, comped him to Justin Jefferson, which is crazy for a player. With that draft capital, we've seen before Sean McVay's offense supporting multiple wide receivers where it's not just you know Cooper Cup and Robert Woods both finishing top 15 in fantasy points per game. I think another year, maybe Brandon Cooks was there. Three wide receivers finished top 20. Uh, and, and so that's probably going to be one of my observations from anatomy is it just like it pays to invest in offenses that have done it before and are cheap. And like, that was the case with the the Rams, you know, just yeah, invest in a cheap Puka Nakua, invest in a cheap um, Kyron Williams. Um, and obviously I, I think, uh, you know, the Cooper cup never really fully returning to full health uh, definitely played a role, but still this, you know, Kyron Williams, I'm happy to draft him mid round one Puka Nakua. I don't know. Uh, early round two. Um, so I'm I, in 2024 drafts, I'm going to be betting as if this is real. I think it is. Um, but Ryan, uh, you had an interesting observation <clears throat> about specifically wide receivers on good offenses versus wide receivers on bad offenses. Yeah. So I basically what I did was I looked at 
every league winning wide receiver since 2017. And I said, okay, was this player on a top 10 offense by EPA per play or were they not? And I, I just sorted them into those two buckets, uh, uh, put them by year and looked at the percentages. And what I found was basically in 2017, none of the league winning wide receivers were on good offenses. All of them were on bad offenses. And you, again, you can, you'll see this more clearly if you open up the article and just visually look at this, but there's a pretty clear trend where more and more every year, the league winning wide receivers have increasingly been on the good offenses. So I, I mean, you used to have like your Deandre Hopkins and your Allen Robinsons, like just soaking up a ridiculous amount of targets on like awful Texans and Jaguars teams. But now all of the top wide receivers are like Tyreek Hill on the dolphins breaking yards per outrun as a concept this year, or like it, it's really clear that a top end wide receiver for fantasy, it, whether whichever way you want to say the causation is, if it's the really good wide receiver dragging their offense to being really good, or if it's the offense allowing the wide receiver to be really good for fantasy, it didn't used to be like that. It is now. Again, I think it goes back to just the evolution of the passing game in the NFL. I think these coaches, I think these play callers are a lot smarter. Um, and you, you can even see it in the way that teams make roster moves. Wasn't that long ago that it, it was almost unheard of for like a star wide receiver to get traded. And now it happens like all the time. Like if, if, a, if a team has like a promising young quarterback, it's like, okay, okay well, wh- which wide receiver star on their second contract are they going to trade for to try to help him take an even bigger leap. Um, I, I mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. He, he was kind of the start of that. Um, but I mean, we've seen it with Stefan Diggs. We've seen it with AJ Brown, Tyree Kill. All of this elite wide receiver talent is now much more efficiently sorted into these offenses that want to take advantage of them. So I think that's really something to pay attention to where if we don't have much I, I don't want to say confidence because you're I mean you're always making like percentage bets basically in fantasy football betting on uncertain and even unlikely outcomes but if if you don't see a way that this offense is going to be really really good they're probably not going to have a high-end fantasy wide receiver or a league winning fantasy wide receiver so it yeah it's something that I think is a lot more important now than it was maybe five or six years ago that is something I've always tried to be cognizant of, uh, you know, trying to invest in power law offenses, like I was just saying with the Rams. And yeah, it's interesting to to note that that appears to be ever more important uh, most recently. Um, I know we also talked about how the 2024 running back class is really weak. I just pulled it up. Dane Brugler put out his top 100. He has 11 wide receivers in his top 50. He has another, he has 20 in his top 100. So going to be another great wide receiver class. Um, Ryan, who are some other league winning wide receivers worth touching on? 
We should talk about C.D. Lamb, I think, because that's a player I that I think both of us weren't super into this past offseason. My and I think kind of everybody's um, justification for that was, and it's so funny say like saying this in hindsight because now we view these play callers completely differently. But it was like, okay, Mike McCarthy kicked Kellen Moore out. This like the the young genius OC kicks out Kellen Moore because Mike McCarthy wants to run the ball more and the Cowboys are going to commit to the run and be a stone age offense. And why would I draft CD lamb? But I, there were a couple of problems with this. Number one is that entire narrative was kind of crafted off of one quote that McCarthy said in March uh, at the combine, I think, he would go on, uh, I think, in that same interview, but al- also many times later in the offseason. Just to clarify how, how how strong this quote was, McCarthy was asked why, uh, why he fired Kellen Moore. He said it was, be- quote unquote, he wanted to light the scoreboard up when I just wanted to run the damn ball so I could rest my defense. Yeah. Yeah. So hearing that. I maybe understandably I and a lot of people were poisoned against Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys from also for years. I just kind of thought the guy was a donkey and then apparently he's like an immensely better offensive coordinator than Kellen Moore. Yeah. It's crazy how these perceptions flip so quickly, but the, I mean, really the way that I feel like I should have thought my way out of this thought spiral was ju- just looking at Mike McCarthy's history as a play caller, especially in Green Bay, that they were never really like run heavy teams when he had the reins like they And, and yes, obviously he had Aaron Rodgers, but they, they were throwing the ball a lot. Like I feel like a coach's history is always going to be, it, we should always care more about that than like, what they're saying in an interview in March, probably. I don't know. But either way, I think, yeah, just the over fixating on one quote where there is contrary evidence is just a a thought pattern I want to break myself. This was just bad process, bad results on on multiple levels. Um, It it didn't even really make sense to like, because last year Dallas's running backs led the league in carries and so it's like even if they wanted to run the ball more there wasn't like that much room for them to do so but then it's well ezekiel elliott's gone what if pollard struggles or doesn't stay healthy what if the defense regresses oh and by the way dalton schultz left Dak prescott another value he's another one of those players who's just been so consistently good for so long top 13 in fantasy points per game in seven of eight career seasons so that was a big whiff by me. I was, I was so excited about Tony Pollard and I slept on Prescott and Lamb and took a big L. I, I will say though, uh, before the team's bye, they were one of the top five most run heavy offenses in football. And then after that bye, they became one of the top three most pass heavy. So it could be one of those things where like, I, I have to keep thinking about this a lot where with uh, coach speak in particular, all too often, it's the case where you know, like you, you're right. Oh yeah, we nailed it. And then they come to their senses because like, it's undeniable. And maybe a takeaway there is, is talent rises to the top. And like even donkey coaches, like possibly, uh, McCarthy, uh, will eventually come to their senses. Uh, but no, that was a good one. Any other 
wide receivers you want to touch on individually? Not so much individually, but I, I think just another point we should make about the wide receiver position in general is that so many of the successful fantasy wide receivers came from like a handful of offenses. And it so happens that most of them were a had a play caller from the Shanahan slash Sean McVay coaching tree, which is really the Mike Shanahan coaching tree. Um, or at least that's yeah, that's that's how I that's how I justify mashing those ideas together in my brain. Heck yeah. I got a quote for you. From the article. Yeah, let's hear it. Across four teams, 49ers, Texans, Dolphins, Rams, they produced the wide receiver 2, 6, 7, 13, 16, 19, 22, and 24 by fantasy points per game. That's a third of the league's top 24 wide receivers. Also, uh, interestingly enough, four of the top five running backs by fantasy points per game. And this is something I'm thinking about a lot, is the importance of offensive play calling. And uh, one of our other writers, Nick, uh, but he's on Twitter at Football Insights, uh, does great work, stat savant. Um, chart savant. We've been talking about this and he thinks that the, he's found through the data what appears to be an ex- exploitive edge where they just attack horizontally on, and it's just like an efficiency cheat code that other offenses aren't utilizing, but they should. I don't know. I, I should let him explain it, but it was really compelling. And uh, and yeah, I, I think that's important. I, I've also talked to Danny Kelly of The Ringer about this where more and more it, that's becoming from an NFL perspective. It's like you could draft a head coach, quarterback, any position. You start from scratch, do overdraft. Okay, Mahomes goes 101, but like at what point do you start seeing Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan going? And that might be like top five, like just how important that is. And like definitely so from a fantasy perspective. And so maybe we should have seen that coming with with Bobby Slowick and the Texans. Uh, we worked together at PFF back in the day. I, I never talked to him, but a lot of my PFF buddies were like, no, the guy's an absolute genius. He's going to be a superstar. He's going to crush. And that entire offense was dirt cheap. Uh, I know like none of us were super high on, or we didn't think too much of their receiving talent, their offensive line talent. Uh, but wow, yeah, Nico Collins uh, by yards per route run, any metric you want to look at was an easy top five wide receiver. Tank Dell was right there on the verge of a massive breakout prior to injury. Uh, so yeah, I like this takeaway a lot. You also mentioned uh, uh, the Packers and Matt LaFleur a little bit overachieving despite a, a really young skill position uh, with not a ton of draft capital there. Uh, and I thought that was super interesting because when I asked Brett White field director of data, data charting, head of charting, uh, but really just like the smartest film guy I know who his top five play callers were. He said Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Sean, Mc, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur. And I was like, oh, yeah, very, very interesting. And th- I mean, that kind of brings up another point that I went on to make in the article where I, I think too often we ki- kind of like associate a team with an offense more or our perception of the team's offense rather than continually reevaluating when there's especially a new quarterback or like a rookie quarterback or whatever, but also a new play caller. So, I, I mean, that was kind of the, if you want to say that the industry made a mistake with the Texans last year, it's okay. Yes, there's, a new quarterback and a new play caller there. We don't know really anything about what it's going to look like, but they were priced as if it was certain that it was going to be a disaster 
once again. Like they, it has the Texan stink sort of on them, uh, d- despite like none of the same right, like, important offensive pieces really being there. Um, so I think that is going to be something to think about with all of these teams that are at the top of the draft this year. Like I, I think that Patriots wide receivers could be a good discount this year, depending what happens. Um, I same deal with the commanders. I not, not that I'm excited for the cliff Kingsbury offense, but they're just having new pieces, new moving parts. If the fantasy If in fantasy, they're priced as if it's certain that they're going to be bad. Those are shots that you probably should be taking. Uh, So, yeah, I I don't know if I'm going to be touting like Demario Douglas a couple months from now incessantly or what, but that's a direction I want to orient my thinking in. Yeah, that's what we're saying with these recent bad running back classes versus wide receiver classes. You know, the, the talent pool it determines everything and and the decisions you should be making as a fantasy player. And that's a more obviously true in this instance, you know, the Texans just got this massive injection of uh, talent, uh, including at the, the play caller position, but let's move on to uh, the tight end position. I think we can cover this um, pretty quickly. I, I just know what, what I was saying at the time was, um, you kind of want to go boom or bust where either you draft Travis Kelsey, which by the way was a mistake, or you just full on punt the position. And I, I gave a bunch of names, players I saw as, as high upside, low cost, where, where part of that is like, well, you know, you would know very quickly if Greg Dulcich is a miss or Chigo Conquo is a miss, uh, in which case, you know, just pick someone up off of waivers, you know, Zach Ertz or Trey McBride is interesting. Uh, Sam Laporte is interesting. So those weren't the players I recommended. Those were the the players to draft. Um, but uh, at least I think that that thesis kind of held true. Or I don't know, do you want to argue against it? Because because Kelsey really fell off. But what was your your key takeaway here, Ryan? I think my key, I'll say process wise, I think we were fine on tight ends. Like, yeah, Kelsey didn't have a good year. I don't know that there were really that many indications aside from, again, an early season injury that we found out about after most people had drafted, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, I bury the lead. Uh, no, no, no. I love Darren Waller this year, which was like one of my worst picks. And he was another surprise injury guy, just like Christian Watson, like who you and I were both so excited about. Uh, this is something, you know, I always want to avoid. I don't ever want to. Uh, Scott Pianowski of the of Yahoo like talks about this incessantly, and he's just so right. Is people look at injury discounts the wrong way. You don't ever want to draft a player heading into the season with an injury. The problem was there were all these guys who just randomly three days before the season, it's like, oh, Jeff Wilson's on IR. Cooper Cup is hurt. Darren Waller has a hamstring. Christian Watson has a hamstring. Which are like the worst injuries you could have. Marquise Brown has an, has an, maybe a hamstring. I don't remember. But yeah, injuries which, which tend to linger. Uh, infuriating. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I had like redraft rosters where before week one i loaded them up i'm like oh my my entire lineup is questionable with a hamstring injury this is this is great no games have been played yet and that yeah it, it did happen to be a lot of the guys that we were into um but yeah other than that happening with kelsey um if you knew that when you drafted i, I don't think there were a lot of like big red flags to avoid him necessarily this year um so I, I would say process-wise, we were fine in tight end. I think more interesting is 
going forward, we we historically you have talked a lot about oligarch tight ends, where you you either draft one of the oligarchs, which usually Kelsey, but uh, Kittle Waller have made their way in there at, at times, or you wait and you punt the position. I'm just looking at last year's results with with like it being the lowest value year since 2016 for the top few tight ends. I'm wondering if the oligarch tight end even exists in a post Travis Kelsey world. Like, yeah, we, we can think Sam Laporta is good and all that, but is he Travis Kelsey? I'm, I'm not really that sure. I don't don't know that I want to be making a Travis Kelsey type of bet on Sam Laporta in drafts this year. I think I, I think I'm going to just be punting the position going forward and until we actually have good evidence that there there's another Travis Kelsey as if that, that as if that can is like a reachable bar. Jake Ferguson was a great pick in fantasy. Uh, Isaiah likely had a really productive run at the end of the season. Um, but this year, I think I'm even more in on it because we, yeah, as we've talked about, talent should guide you in your decision-making first and foremost. The last year's tight end rookie class was being talked about as the most talented tight end rookie class in years, right? And I, I mean, it, it kind of played out. Yeah, it, they, it certainly had more fantasy-relevant rookies in a class than we've ever seen. Why would that not carry over to year two? So yeah, get, give me the Packers tight ends. Give, give me Michael Mayer. Why not? Like they're they're good. Yeah, they're gonna be cheap. Um, they Michael Mayer especially had a fairly good college profile. I know you liked him a decent amount, Scott. Like the get give me all of those year two tight end bets because that yeah the the most talented tight end class hitting their breakout apex. Yeah, we should be all in on this, especially for the guys where it's not priced in. I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. I, I think, I think I'm going to be back in on Kyle Pitts. Please don't cancel your fantasy point subscription, but I've been thinking about that all day. Um, maybe Brock Bowers too. He's, he's a really exciting prospect and it's encouraging. We did see uh, a lot of rookie tight ends, uh, be so productive. Um, but you know, you're the, you wrote, uh, the age curves article last year, which was one of the best articles I read all year where we talked about like the the cheat code of sophomore tight ends, which has just been so true for so long. And that was Trey McBride. Who knows? Maybe there will be uh, another surprise sophomore tight end this year. Maybe uh, Luke Musgrave or Tucker Craft or love it. Uh, what about the, the quarterback position? I, I thought this one was uh, particularly interesting just because I was so on the fence um, where, you know, JJ's, JJ Zacharyson, the quote unquote late round QB guy, uh, has been kind of walking that back saying, well, uh, the quarterback position is more top heavy than ever because of these Konami code quarterbacks. Um, maybe there's also less parity among quarterbacks or quarterback play is deteriorating minus those top quarterbacks. It's also just, they're so consistent where in the past that wasn't really the case outside of, you know, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, who weren't runners. Um, and so I, I saw all that and I was like, okay, yeah, I think, you know, Josh Allen is worth around two pick, but I'm just not going to do that because the late round quarterback 
approach has worked so well for me historically, which, which is true. You know, like that, that's a great place to find, you know, drafting late round running backs tends not to work out late round wide receivers tends not to work out, but the hit rate of finding a league winning quarterback late has been great. And I personally have been so good at it. Not this past year, my, my must draft late round quarterbacks were, uh, Daniel Jones, which yikes, you know, that, that didn't look good. Yeah. I was hoping he would take a step, another step forward with, with Brian Dable, but it looked like he regressed and, you know, ran bad with injury luck. And also Darren Waller wasn't healthy. Um, and, uh, for the, eighth year in a row, his offensive line couldn't stay healthy and his receiving core couldn't stay healthy. Uh, but the other one was Anthony Richardson, which, you know, I, I think is good process, bad results or like he looked like he was going to break leagues and, and just, uh, ran bad with injury luck, but that's kind of my thoughts. Um, but you kind of dug into this more thoroughly. So, uh, when you, uh, uh, elucidate the listeners. Yeah. So I think this year, it, regardless of which side of like the early round or late round quarterback debate you're on, this was kind of a Rorsatch test where you, if you look hard enough, you can find a way to support your position based on 2023. So in like the early quarterback camp, this was the first year over the past seven years, probably a lot longer that we, we had multiple quarterbacks with round three ADPs who were league winners, both Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts, round three ADPs in ESPN leagues this year, were on over 60% of playoff rosters, which is the uh, like unprecedented, really. So you say, oh, okay, the yeah, this was where the league winners are. So I, I guess early quarterbacks. But if you, and again, the, reading the article will be so much better for you to understand this point and see it visually. But the just based on value over replacement, you weren't actually getting that much out of having Allen or Hertz compared to a lot of like the high-end QB1 and QB2 seasons we've seen over the past few years. Even even compared to last year, the top-end quarterbacks in 2023 were nowhere near as good or as productive as we, really all of their ADPs suggested. Um and there, there were guys drafted later who were relatively successful. You you got on fine if you had Brock Purdy or Jordan Love or Dak Prescott at times to a tongue of Iloa early in the season. Like, I, I don't. Yes. It, yes. Hopefully you were streaming Joe Flacco. Um, yeah, I don't think it was at all a requirement to have drafted one of these earlier Konami code quarterbacks to win in fantasy this year. Um And I just kind of looking ahead at early ADP, I talked a little bit about this in my fantasy points for dropback article, but they're kind of unlike last year, there are Konami code quarterbacks, at least right now on underdog that you don't have to like draft a cute, one of the first five QBs off the board to get like Kyler Murray is probably going to go relatively later next year. Um, Jaden Daniels, uh, assumedly going to have top three draft capital, very productive runner in college. Um, the, there are going to be like Konami code options available later in drafts. So I think really either, I don't think you can really go wrong either way, um, with the position in 2024. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of disappointing to not have like a, 
hard take of you, this is when you have to draft a quarterback like you kind of could in previous years. But I, I think that's what the data is telling us. Yeah, I think that that's a good call. I really like the the name specifically you shouted out. I think I'm going to go back to the well on Anthony Richardson. I think Justin Fields in Pittsburgh is interesting. So like you said, yeah, that, that's been the cheat code for so long is give me cheap Konami code quarterbacks. And luckily it seems like there's still a lot of those. And and part of the reason why we have, I we, we lean more towards that approach is just because it's just not as valuable a position, like a typical one QB league, 12 teams. Uh, that means there's 20 starting quarterbacks who are going to be available on waivers. So like worst case scenario, maybe you'll find then a Joe Flacco you could stream. So um, the the safety net at that position is a lot higher than it's going to be uh, at the running back position where you're starting at least 24, your league is. Um, but there's at most 32 starting running backs, then a lot of those aren't valuable because it's such a committee, et cetera. Um, so yeah, I, I like that shout out. Um, I like that call. We went through running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, quarterbacks. Um, what about any other macro trends uh, you noticed that you, that you want to speak on? Not so much on the macro, but I, I did just want to, on the micro, pick up something you just said there. Yeah, Anthony Richardson, we Scott, we got so unlucky. Oh my God. I, I know you just called it good process, bad results, but we could have looked so smart with Anthony Richardson. Um, I, I don't even want to look at my best ball exposure to him last year, but yeah, yeah, just brutal. I had, I had so many killer teams with like, um, all the, the late round league winners, you know, multiple Miami running backs, Kyron Williams, and then the starting quarterbacks were every single time, Daniel Jones and Anthony Richardson and they were just and Aaron Rodgers, and they were just so dead. Yeah. But the good-ish news is, and I, again, I covered this in my Fantasy Points Per Dropback article, Anthony Richardson going into year two is also a very exciting bet. Um, his, at least in like the sharper underdog leagues, you're not going to get him outside like the top six um, be, because the people that draft on that platform are insane people like we are. But I, I think in like your regular um, like work leagues or home leagues, you're going to be able to get Anthony Richardson kind of later. And it it's the same exact bet. He broke fantasy points per drop back, uh, had the best season in it since I, I think Lamar Jackson's 20, 2017 was the year that he like broke all the records in what his first MVP season. So yeah, there, there is a lot to be excited about specifically with Anthony Richardson that I just wanted to hammer home again. I love it. All right. Well, I think we've been, uh, we've, we've made this long enough. Uh, if you want anything more, uh, definitely check out this article, check out the charts, check out Ryan's fantasy points per dropback article, check out the fantasy points data suite, check out, uh, all the great rookie analysis and podcasts Brett Whitefield is putting out. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. For Ryan, I'm Scott. I love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Fantasy Points.